Um, this is the fourth week of Pathways Access. How is your journey going so far? Dance is going well. Everyone else is murmuring. Um, I hope it's going well. I hope, I hope you're experiencing God in new and vital and dynamic ways. That's our vision. That's our hope. That's our prayer for this, uh, for this season in our church's life every, every year that we do it. Um, I'm talking to you guys tonight about this thing called connexity, uh, which is a made-up word coined by E3, coined by Pastor Mark, uh, whose birthday it is today. Uh, but he is spending the evening with his, his family, so if you haven't sent him birthday wishes on Facebook, please do so sometime soon. But he and some E3 pioneers coined that phrase years and years ago when they were trying to get at the concept of, of just a word that simply meant connecting people with, with authentic biblical community. And they, they made up the word. It's not in the dictionary yet. They say next year, next year, next year. It's just like the Cubs and the playoffs. <laughs> next year all the time. Um, but I'm going to talk to you guys tonight about it. And it's ironic that I'm talking to you guys about it for, I guess, a couple reasons. This is an odd topic for me. I just, I'm just going to be honest with you guys uh, right from the get-go tonight. And it's, and it's weird in a couple ways. The, the first way it's weird is that I consider myself kind of like a connexity, I don't know, connexity invalid. Uh, I don't think I do it very well. And I'm just being honest. So I'm talking to you guys tonight, and I heard somebody say recently that sometimes when preachers preach, they preach messages to themselves. You guys just happen to be in the room with me. This might be one of those times. I need to hear messages about connexity because I don't think I do it very well. And, and I might be grading myself harshly. But, but the way my mind works about it is when I see a room like this, like this is where connexity starts, you know, on a Sunday Room full of people, conversations happening, and this just like burns me out because I'm one of these people that's called an, an introvert. Um, and rooms full of people and conversation after conversation after conversation is like, like you might as well just like siphon gas out of my tank just full on because after about, I don't know, five or six conversations, particularly on a Sunday, I'm just like, go home, put me to bed, I am done. I'm just toast. And that's contrasted with those of you who I know to be extroverts, or who consider yourselves extroverts, and we know who you are. Because I see you uh, on every Sunday, and they're the folks that, that after you see them have conversation after conversation after conversation into the 10th, into the 15th, the 20th, and their energy level just seems to be going up and to the right all the time, and you're like, what the heck is going on? And meanwhile, I'm just like, somebody spell me, please. I think I've pulled something. I've pulled a connexity muscle. I don't know what it is. Um, so I don't think I do this very well, you know. But I'm here to talk to you guys about it as best I can. And the second thing that's kind of odd to me is, is connecting it with worship. Because if you remember, the Pathways Access journey is all about worship. It's, what, it's determining what is the axis of our lives. And... And reminding ourselves that the axis, the center of our lives, everything that, that our lives revolve around is supposed to be God. It's supposed to be Jesus. It's supposed to be worship. But again, sometimes my mind, I think of connexity as a room full of people like this. And then I think of, of what I go through during worship. And I don't know if you're like me, but, 
some of the things that, the feelings that come up for me during a worship experience are intensely personal and intensely private. And I can't even verbalize them sometimes, much less try to share them or, or make it a, a community experience. So equating or connecting community, biblical community, connexity with worship is sometimes just, it's, it's strange to me. And I don't understand how that connection gets made. But I've spent some time uh, this week in, in the scriptures and in prayer. And I, I think I've got some things to, to share with you guys where, where if that feels odd to you, you know, maybe, maybe I can, can make a connection that, that'll help. So that's what we're going to do tonight. But before we do that, I want to ask you guys for some help. And what I'm going to do is I, I just want to this is kind of movie time, cinematic review time with Pastor Eric. So what I want to know is, uh, how many of you guys have seen and or enjoyed the movie Tommy Boy? <laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. Let's go with enjoy from here on out. How many people uh, have enjoyed the movie? Okay, I'm, this is reaching. Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. Anybody? Okay. A couple. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. That took risk. Okay, let's go back. We'll, we'll go safer a little bit. How about Armageddon? Remember Armageddon, the big meteor coming towards Earth? Okay, awesome. Okay, safe. We're in, we're in the umbrella of safety, right? Okay. How about um, the hot chick with Rob Schneider? Whoa. Pastor Dan, you get meetings with those people. Okay. <laughs> it's not his ministry, he says. Okay, anybody want to venture a guess what those movies have in common? <laughs> Almost, close. Actually, uh, those movies do have a lot of former Saturday Night Live uh, cast members in it. But what those movies all have in common is that they all appear on a list by a guy named Roger Ebert, who is a movie critic in the United States. It appears on his list of his most hated movies in history. Uh, he is a movie critic, has been a movie critic for, um, I don't know, 30 plus years probably. He's had a syndicated TV show with this guy, uh, Gene Siskel, who passed away recently. He writes a column for the Chicago Sun-Times. He has seen a lot of movies. I'm sorry if he hated your favorite movie, but trust me, Roger Ebert knows movies. And these movies that I just named, I think he voiced it in a certain way that he just feels like violence was inflicted upon him by having to sit through these movies. He knows a lot about this stuff. He knows a lot about movies. But the thought I want to put in your head is that Roger Ebert also knows something very profound and beautiful about community, about biblical community, about connexity. And I want you to just hold that thought in your head and I want you to open up your Bibles if you're so inclined. Page 703 in the E3 Bibles, it'll be on the side screen. And we are going to take a look at a passage of Scripture out of the book of Galatians. Uh, it's towards the back of the Bible. Now, set a little context just to remind ourselves kind of where we're at. Galatians is a letter from a guy named Paul written to a church in Galatia. He's writing for specific reasons to specific people. He's addressing an issue or, or issues that came up in the church at Galatia. Uh, so even though this was written, you know, 2,000 years ago or thereabouts, I believe that, that, that ha this has something for us tonight in the season of our church and in any church ongoing. So 
We're going to take a look at it, but before we do, um, I just want to pause. I'm going to ask you guys to pray with me before we go any further into our time together. So if you would join me, please. God, we are here, and uh, some of us, that's, that's about the most we can say, is that we are here. We're in this room, we're in this space, and we don't know what to expect. Some of us are hungry to hear something from you, anything. And so God, for those of us who may be desperate to walk through these doors sort of as a last chance, God, I would say, speak loud, God. For those of us who have been walking with you closely, I would say, God, send something new to us. Send a reminder of something new uh, in, in your world, God, in your ministry that you would have us think about or do. And Lord, I pray most of all that you would stay with us, that your spirit would teach us and would guide us tonight and guide my words and thoughts. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Um, all right, so Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read it. I'm going to make some observations, some comments for our time together. Paul starts this way. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. But don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Uh, there's so much in this passage. There's, there's half a dozen things that could come out of it. Uh, I want to talk to you about three things tonight. And the first thing is, is very theological and conceptual which sounds horrible to some of you, to some of us who are a little bit geeky about this stuff. I would say that there's something beautiful and, and amazing waiting in that area of the message. And then there's two other sort of really concrete, really everyday, real-world things that I want to talk to you about. So that's where we're going tonight. I want to jump right into to the first thing. Um, and I want to kind of point out some language that Paul is using because the hint of the theological thing that I want to talk about is, is, is contained in the first verse of this passage and the last verse of this passage. How does the passage start? Paul says what? Dear what? Brothers and sisters. Dear brothers and sisters. Then the passage ends with Paul referencing something called the what? The family of faith, right? Now, Paul is using just what I would call very simply family language and he's not using it accidentally 
I think sometimes we read these words and we think that maybe Paul just ran out of a word for dude. And so he was like, ah, I've used dude a few times. Ah, all right, brothers and sisters. Or maybe he ran out of ways to say y'all. And so he was like, hey, I'll say family this time. What I would love to, to have you grasp a hold of is that Paul doesn't do things like this accidentally. That when he uses family language, he means to use family language because he wants you to wake up to something having to do with a family of faith and with brothers and sisters. So from there, I would ask you to repeat something. Everybody repeat this word or this phrase back to me. Everybody say one family. Everybody say one people. God started off his redemption project essentially with one family. And one people. A guy named Abraham had a family. That family evo- uh, turned into 12 sons who turned into 12 tribes, all second cousins. I bet they had amazing family reunions with a ton of barbecue. But it was one family. And then they evolved into a whole people, a whole nation. But always it was one family, one people. God didn't have multiple families. God had one family, one people. Now you could join this people. You could convert to this people. You could convert to Judaism. But it was always you were joining essentially a family. You were joining a family. And that was no accident. Now this family, as it, as it went down through history, eventually became pretty concerned with how do we set ourselves apart from who's not in the family? How do we make a difference, a difference line between kind of who's in and who's out. Not just arbitrarily, and we'll talk about this in just a second, but the family of God became interested in something called purity. That's just the way they conceptualized it, purity. And I would say to you that, that for the Jews, for God's family, for God's people, purity mattered. Various kinds of purity. Purity of places. There were things that you, there were places that you did not go if you were in the family of God because it would make you impure. That wasn't a death sentence, but you would sort of have to be purified to kind of, um, let me just say, like, just sort of set your, set your conscience back right with, with your fellow uh, family and God. There were things that you didn't touch, corpses, you didn't touch them. There were occupations that you did not do. Uh, quite frankly, like a tanner, like making leather, that was a pretty, uh, a pretty nasty occupation for the Jews because of what you had to deal with and what you had to do to get that product. All of these things kind of dealt with purity. And furthermore, all of the people that had to do with those things also impacted their view of purity. So if you were a person who worked in kind of a questionable job or worked in a questionable place or did or touched questionable things, you were also considered to be ah, 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 impure. What I want you to know, though, is that we read things like this, and I think a lot of times we look at this and we're like, what a buzzkill these people must have been. Like big lists of do's and don'ts. And were they arbitrary? Like why? I mean, does God... Does God just arbitrarily hand out rules and and regulations? Sometimes God does that because he knows what's best for us. But I want to suggest to you that this, for them, was a very important thing. Not just because they didn't like to have any fun or they were mean to people. But for the first century Jews, their concept of purity was tied 
to God's action in the world. And what they wanted most of all was God to come back and make things right in the world. For God to show up and rule the world the way they knew he would in peace and love and justice. And the more they could get this right, the quicker God would return. So that's what purity was. There's only one problem with that. Was that a guy named Jesus shows up and he starts walking around saying things like, hey, guess what? It kind of doesn't matter what goes into you that makes you pure or impure. What makes you pure or impure is what comes out of your heart and out of your mouth. And Jesus hung out with people who weren't pure. And he started welcoming people into the family and he started saying, guess what? You know who the family of God is? The family of God is everybody who identifies with me, with Jesus, and with what God is up to in the world. So all of, all of a sudden, these people who had, had worked so hard to set themselves apart and to identify themselves as like, we're pure. We're pure because we want God to come back. All of a sudden, these people were rubbing up against people who never had those lists and who could eat whatever they want. Bags of pork rind, bacon, ham. Mm. And it caused no end of, of strife in the first century church because they didn't know how to deal with this. And so most of the New Testament or a ton of the New Testament is actually written to people trying to help the church navigate these differences. And we look at that and we're like, oh, how archaic, how, you know, I love bacon, I can eat bacon. But what about political lines? What about, I mean, what about FSU and Florida? What about all of the things that divide us and that we have to fight to talk about so that we can kind of stay together? Jesus said this in, in John chapter 13, and I think it's one of these things that I tend to gloss over because, you know, I don't know, somehow I think maybe I'm too good for these scriptures, but I come back to him and I'm like, no, I still don't have this down. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, he's talking to his disciples, and he, he said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, and then what's he say? Love each other, just as I have what? Loved you. You should your love for one another, get this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus is preoccupied with this whole idea of unity and staying together. And he knows what's coming. He's like, guys, there's a whole lot of people who don't share your values and they're about to come into the family. But guess what? We can't have two families. We can't have two peoples. We have to have one people. So you got to learn to love. you got to learn to love. But what's really, really amazing to me about that is where he says, your love will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Now, last week, Pastor Mark talked to us about outreach. And as I was reading this this week, I was like, whoa. Like, outreach is connected to connexity. Outreach is connected intrinsically to our ability to love each other because the world looks at us and goes, 
is either going to go one of two things. They're going to go, man, those people hate each other. I can get that anywhere. Or they can look at a room full of people like this and go, you know what, in a way, I don't see what these people have in common. I'm not sure they belong in a room together, and yet they are together. And they seem like they care about each other. And that proves to the world that's, that I think even that Jesus was who he says he was and did what he said he did because he did not die for two families. He did not die for 14 different people groups. He died for one people group, for one family, and that's us, guys. So here's the way I put it, that our unity, and that unity comes through connexity. It comes through authentic biblical community. Our unity is a sign. That learning to be the church in unity and love is another way of saying Jesus was right. He was exactly who he said he was. And the more we get authentic community, the more we get biblical community down, the more I believe the world will take notice of this. So the first thing I would say is that authentic biblical community actually equals mission. You want to do evangelism? Love your brothers and sisters. You want to outreach to the world? Show them how much you care for somebody else in your family. But there's more. As I studied this passage, I really got stopped. I mean, there, there was so much there, but I got stopped on one phrase and one phrase only. And it just kept coming up over and over again. I couldn't get past it. And it was the phrase where Paul writes that you're supposed to share each other's burdens, right? And I just got stopped. I, my mind just stopped there. Paul also writes a lot in this passage about individual responsibility. And there's always a tension there. As we talk about burden sharing, sometimes you experience consequences for the things you do. Am I right? But Paul also says that in the midst of that, in the midst of saying, you know what, you're responsible for your actions, but there's a tension you have to live in, and that somehow... We are all in this together. Now, to show you what that looks like, uh, I'm going to have a friend of mine, Zach, come up, and he's going to help me. So if you guys would welcome him as he comes up. I've promised him that nothing bad will, will happen to him. But now he's up here, and he can't do anything about it. No, I'm kidding. Hey, man. Howdy. Howdy. Come stand over here, please. Um, so I'm going to ask. No, 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 no. Right here, right here. That's okay. All right, I want to ask you to put this on. Okay. okay. Now, how does that feel? Pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. Yeah. Do you, w could you wear that for a day? Maybe. Maybe. Probably. How would you feel if you had to wear it for five days? <laughs> Thank you for your editing. Yeah. Uh, uh, how would you feel if you had to wear it for like a year? Be pretty sad. Okay. Be upset. Yeah. You wouldn't feel like getting out of bed or even walking around with it, would you? No. Yeah. This is a burden. And uh, some of us wake up with this every day. Some of us wake up and we roll out of bed and our backpack's not literal, but we try to get out of bed and we are weighed down by a ton of stuff. So what does this look like? What is Paul asking us to do? You see, I, I think that uh, 
a lot of times this is what community might look like. What, sometimes what it looks like is that Zach might hide the fact that he's even got a burden. You know, so the first thing we have to do is to be like, dude, like you got kind of something going on back here. But then this is a lot of times what we do as Christians is like we might kind of open up the pack and we're like, oh, yeah, dude, no wonder you're weighed down. Oh, good luck with that. Um, but this is what Paul is asking us to do. Paul is asking us to go in to each other's lives and to take a look. And, and, and sometimes we just go like this. We, we get into Zach's life and we go like, dude, no wonder you're burdened. Like, you lost your job. And, and then we take this. And burden sharing means this. And I would just ask somebody, if somebody knew that Zach didn't have a job, would someone step up and go like, you know what, I want to help carry this. I want to carry this burden. And I'm asking, would someone step up and help carry this burden right now? Okay, so Virginia would step up. Don't worry, there's more to go around. And maybe Virginia says, you know what, I, I can't offer you a job, but I know a friend who is in a hiring position in a company. And let me make some phone calls. Okay? That probably doesn't feel tremendously lighter yet. Okay. Well, let's look some more. So maybe you go into Zach's life again and you find out, oh, my gosh. Like, dude, like, you're, you got a health issue. Like, you're sick. No wonder you're, no wonder you're burdened down. So who would take this maybe for somebody? Who would, who would, who would volunteer to, to bear this burden or to share this burden with, with Zach? <laughs> so what, might, what this might look like is that Evan would say, you know what, dude, I can't make you better. But I also know that maybe making a meal for you, you guys can go sit down. That's fine, actually. Um, no, take it with you. Dude, what are you doing? You're like laying down the burden already. <laughs> but maybe what this means is that Evan says, I can't make you better, Zach. But maybe I can just cook you a meal. Because I understand that, that even probably getting around your house is, is, a, is, is, a, is a weight. So let's see what else is in here. Maybe you dig a little bit more into Zach's life and you just find out, oh, man, yeah, like, dude, like, you're just stressed out. It is stressful up here. Um, and so you go, all right, well, like, who would take this? Who would take this? So maybe, maybe what you do, Ted, is you say, you know what? Let's, let's just go out and have dinner. Like, I'm just going to go out, we're just going to go, or we're going to go watch a really bad movie, like The Hot Chick, maybe. <laughs> and you go, I can't, I can't make your stress go away, but I can share this burden. Is it feeling lighter now? Lighter. Yeah. You know why? Because your community is carrying your burdens with you. All right, but there's more in here, is there not? I think there's a couple more. You dig a little bit more, and you find that, like, Zach's just a really lonely guy. <laughs> watch it. <laughs> so who would take this? Who would, bear, who would share this? All right, so maybe a manager says, you know what, Zach, we just want you to come into our home for four nights a week. Our home, our doors are open. Our doors are open, and you are, you are a part of our family. And there's a lot of single people who, are like, they would say, like, that's a, that's a burden in my life. In this community, they would say, I'm lonely. It's that simple. And there's a lot of folks here who could just say, you know what, my house is your house. You know, you don't even have to knock on the door. Just come on in. And I think there's one other thing in here. This is probably the last, the last thing, but it's a big one. And it's a big one for our, for our whole society right now. And it's just this. You find out, lastly, that maybe this, is, maybe this is Zach's burden. 
All right? Now, who would share this with me? Who would share this? So maybe what this looks like is heavy. Maybe this, what this looks like is that you're like, I can't, I can't make this go away. But maybe I've got some friends, and we're going to help you. So we're just going to give you a Publix gift card because we know that groceries is a thing for you. Or maybe we're going to just write your rent check for you and just going to take care of it. And now how does that feel? So you could just like, because now your burden is distributed through the community. And you can get up and you can walk and you can, and you can exist in community. And that's got to feel a lot different, does it not? Yeah, like I'm not even worried about it. Thank you, Zach. Obviously, those things don't necessarily just go away and vanish out of our lives when people take them, but it gets a lot lighter, does it not? And I think at the first level, we would say, Paul is absolutely saying, get into each other's lives. And don't just look in there and go like, whoa, no wonder you're weighted down and walk off. Get in there and say, and a lot of times as community, I will tell you, you have to go looking for it. They will not volunteer, people will not volunteer their burdens to you. But you go and you look for it. And then you take it and say, let me carry this for you. So what I would say here is that biblical community looks like burden-bearing, burden-sharing. And it's for all of us. And I want to close with this last thought because... Burden-bearing, burden-sharing, uh, and the reason I call it burden-bearing is, is a lot of translations uh, used to translate sharing each other's burdens with bearing each other's burdens. That's the way I learned it. Paul says we are to bear each other's burdens. And there's a way that we can bear each other's burdens that goes even beyond what we just saw with Zach. And, and it gets, and I kind of unpack it through some scripture and through some just looking at the language uh, first of all, I want you to know that the, the burden and the language that Paul is using here references an intense burden. It's not like I'm frustrated with the way Facebook has changed. <laughs> it's a little beyond that, okay? It's, it's oppressive burdens. This is what the word means. This is the, the language Paul is using. It's a common language, common word, common verbs that he uses throughout the New Testament, but there's an interesting usage of it in the gospel according to John. Uh, in chapter 19, Jesus is on his way to be crucified, and the gospel writer writes this. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull. Now the word for carrying right there is the same word that Paul uses for sharing or bearing. So literally, you could say, bearing the cross, Jesus you know, went to the place of the skull. If you assume that the writers of the New Testament and Paul um, used words intentionally, there can be a slight connection. And I want to kind of push that just a little bit. Uh, so we have this vague bearing each other's burdens, Jesus bearing the cross. Before I go on, I want you have to understand something about the Jewish folk, people and their conception of sin. Now, we think of sin as things that I've done wrong or haven't done, and i got to get right with God. 
You know, I've made mistakes. That's the way most of us as Americans view our sin. The Jewish people viewed sin sort of as a communal deal. And interestingly, what they thought of is that as people made mistakes or did not do things, it literally released impurities into the community. So as people would sin, impurity would be released into the community. And once a year, they had something called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, they would basically deal with all of these sins. It was a day of, of sacrifice. It was a day of fasting, of mourning, of just mourning what we've done and haven't done. And the interesting part for, for our purposes is part of the ceremony that involved two goats. One goat was slaughtered and sacrificed as part of the ritual. But the second goat had a very interesting function for the Jews, for us tonight. And it was called the scapegoat. Has anybody ever heard of the term the scapegoat? The scapegoat had a very peculiar uh, role in this whole Day of Atonement thing. Basically, the, the high priest would come to the goat that was chosen as a scapegoat, and he would lean over and he would place his hands on the goat's head. And as he did that, he was ceremonially transferring the sins of the community onto this goat. Then the goat would be driven off into the wilderness. And the meaning of that was the goat was taking away the sins of of the community, into the wilderness, never to return, gone, done. But what's interesting is you know the way they talk about that. They talk about that with language that says when he transfers the sin, he transfers the burden of the sins of the community to the goat. And then the goat bears the burden of the sin of the community and leaves. So I find that really, really interesting. Now, obviously, if you're a believer in what Jesus did on the cross and who he was and who he is, you know that in a sense our sin has gone from us. Jesus has taken that. We are forgiven, we are accepted, we are beloved. But am I the only one in this room that would say, some days I wake up and I know that, but I don't feel it. Some days I wake up and I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm accepted, but some days when someone walks up to me and puts their hand on my shoulder and just says, hey, I just want you to remember that you're loved and God loves you. I don't go, well, you know what? I know Jesus took care of that, so thank you anyway. <laughs> Those things mean something to us, do they not? Now, I think something very, very interesting is happening here because I think what Paul is suggesting on a level is that in a similar way that we bear each other's tangible burdens, we can bear each other's burdens of sin. Okay? And the way we do that is through something called confession, which is kind of a, a creepy word for some of us, but it doesn't have to be because you know what confession means? Confession means grabbing time with somebody and going, can I get, I just got to tell you something. I'm struggling. I, I've messed up. And then it means offering words of forgiveness. And we'll get to some practical stuff in just a second. But 
as we confess things, we bear each other's burdens spiritually. We share that. You give me some of that weight that you're feeling, and something profound happens. And this is where Roger Ebert comes back for us. Because Roger Ebert, as I said, he was a columnist for the Sun-Times. And for years, he wrote column after column after movie, after, uh, about movie after movie after movie. And then one day, years ago, he wrote a column, and it just said, I'm Roger Ebert, and I'm an alcoholic. And it was like, what? And he wrote a column that basically told his story, that he had been an alcoholic, and he was in recovery, and had been in recovery for years. And he told the story of what that looked like for him. And I stumbled across it uh, months ago, and I was, I was reading it. I, I ran across this quote that just floored me. And Roger Ebert said this about alcohol and booze and, and his 12-step recovery. He said this, that booze is always there for you. It doesn't argue. It doesn't criticize. And with a hangover, it's the cure. Then he said this, Alcoholics Anonymous works in the same way. I, I had some conversations because I'm not in recovery myself, but I, I had some conversations just to say, like, is this the way it works? Because the way that, what that says to me is that 12-step and, and AA and community basically takes the place of the drug that that person's addicted to. So you would just reword it, and you would, and you would say, the community is always there for me. The community doesn't argue with me. The community doesn't criticize me. And as I read that, I was like, oh, yes, that's the way we share each other's burdens. That's what biblical community looks like. Because guess what? I am not a recovering alcoholic. I have not, uh, I'm not a re in recovery for, for drugs. But guess what? You know what? On a base level, I'm addicted to sin. And I think you are too. Because there are things that I do that I don't know why I do. There are mistakes that I make. There are thoughts that I think. There are anger reactions that I have with my kids that I tell myself over and over again, I will not do it again. And I do it again. And I look at a quote like this and I'm like, if I had a community around me that I would say, it never argues with me. It never criticizes me, criticizes me. And it's there 24 hours a day that maybe I could heal in the same way Roger Ebert healed, in the same way a lot of other folks who have gone through 12-step programs would say, that's my healing. My healing is because there's a community that's there. And that, to me, is an amazing thought to think of that, if that's what burden sharing looks like. Not just the tangible stuff, but our actual spiritual stuff. That you could go to somebody and say, well, you know what? I'm always there. I will not criticize you. I will not argue with you. You come to me with anything, and I will listen. So the last thing to me is the most mind-blowing. You know, we talked about how... Uh, um, Authentic biblical community is mission, it's outreach. Authentic biblical community is burden sharing. But authentic biblical community is also redemption. And that's good news. So I want to leave you with just a couple practical ideas. 
If you're a person that would say, you know what, I, I've got to find somebody to do this confession thing. My caution to you is you don't want to trust just anybody with this stuff. So I would just say, look around your world and ask yourself this question. Who in my world looks like Jesus? Because Jesus always had people coming up to him and saying, Jesus, I've done some stuff wrong. And he did a pretty good job of dealing with those folks. So if you are looking for someone to unburden yourself, to share some of your spiritual burdens with, don't go to it. Just, I don't want to insult anybody, but don't go to it, just anybody. Look around and go, who resembles the Jesus I know from the gospel? Who is compassionate? Who is gentle? Who is kind? Who has a sense of humor that can laugh with me? Because that's the person I would go to. I don't want to go to a person who has hate in their hearts, who will condemn me. Now, on the other side of the, of the coin, maybe you'll be a person that will hear these confessions. So here's your tip list. No one to counsel, no one to be silent. Most of the time, you're going to be silent. You're not there to cure these folks. You're not there to psychoanalyze them. You're there to listen and to accept and love and pray. Pray for them, pray with them. Pray, pray prayers that look like this. You know, God, uh, we are so sorry for, for what we have done, God, but we know that you are a forgiving God, and I pray that your forgiveness would pour into my friend's heart right now and drive out the shame that's there. Pray. And then the last of all, because this is like the, the critical thing, you turn to that person and you look in their eyes and you say, let me just remind you who you are. You are the beloved of God. You are accepted. And I love you. And God loves you. And I'm glad you're a part of my life. And celebrate that forgiveness. Confession as part of biblical community is part of our redemption. It's how we work it out with fear and trembling day after day after day, and we share each other's burdens. I would invite you guys all to stand. As the band comes back up, I just want to pray for us. And just take a moment to reflect on the gift of community that God gives us and the gift of his love and his grace expressed through Jesus and expressed through his church. God, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I pray that, that wherever they are struggling, Lord, that you would whisper words of love and acceptance to them. That you would also guide us to people that we could share our burdens with. Also pray for folks who are really struggling on the tangible parts of their lives. God, I pray that they would open up their lives so that people could see where they're struggling. And I pray for bold, courageous folks in this church, in this community, in the whole body of Christ that would say, I am going to take a burden from somebody this week. And I'm going to make a phone call or I'm going to write a check or I'm just going to be generous with my time and everything I have, all the resources I have to share somebody's burden, God. Lord, I thank you for the church. I pray that we would be marked more by love than by the things that just make us angry. 
And Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to us in now these closing minutes that we have together. And we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Ow. 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 Ow.